the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Last week, we began our preparation for Lent with the jealous murmurs of the workers in the vineyard. And today, this week, Holy Mother Church presents us with the groanings of St. Paul in his litany of sufferings. After his conversion, St. Paul went out to sow the seed of the gospel. In his second great mission, he journeyed to Corinth. There he toiled and he tilled the ground of the Corinthians in order to sow seeds of salvation, and a flourishing Christian community was established. St. Paul, being all things to all men, had to take leave from them, and scarcely had he left, false apostles began to creep in. The Jews spoke against him, and a certain Christian teacher named Apollo, whose novelties raised revolt and even hatred against St. Paul, and this brought about schism. The soil in Corinth was both hard and stony. Their ears were open to all sorts of distractions, rumors, gossips, and curiosity. And St. Paul's teaching was not able to properly, properly root, take root. And even if they did, some of them fell on superficial souls with only a shallow layer of soil. Those, you know, who always begin with lots of enthusiasm, but after um, contradictions and persecution, they fall away. Perhaps the ground was also covered with thorns, souls that are choked by an excessive care of temporal things, which prevents them from truly grasping the truth of the gospel. These news about the change of heart in, among the Corinthians filled the so sower's heart with great pain and deep sorrow. In order to confound the false apostles and win back the hearts of the Corinthians, St. Paul was forced to do something that was not expected of him. I, if I must boast, he says, if I must boast, and he praised himself for having suffered much for Jesus Christ. He recalled his labors, his journeys, his fatigue, his prison, imprisonment, and his shipwrecks. He was scourged, stoned, robbed, betrayed. He kept watch and fasted. He was hungry and thirsty. And on top of that, he spoke about the ecstasies and the revelations which he was privileged to have received from God. But isn't this vain glory, boasting about oneself? Well, St. Paul seemed to have no other choice but to boast. If I must boast, he says, and then he adds, it is not indeed expedient to do so. So it is quite, as you know, unbecoming to speak of oneself all the time. But St. Paul is actually praising God and thanking Him for His goodness and mercy despite all of His tribulations. Only the ones with false humility the false humility of the prideful and the ungrateful will conceal the great things that God has done. You see, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the perfect soil who keeps the word in her heart and does the will of the Father, she too sang of her own blessings with the greatest joy. 
Behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed, she says, because he that is mighty has done great things to me. And yet Our Lady was the humblest of all creatures. Yes, amidst the lies of the false prophets, St. Paul simply had no choice but to speak up for himself by boasting of God's goodness. His praise is like a crescendo which reaches its peak all the way to the third heaven, and it all ends rather quietly in humility, glorifying of the things that concern his infirmity. For myself I would glory nothing, says St. Paul, but in my infirmities. Gladly will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God brought St. Paul into all the dangers of creation and of sinners, but he also brought him out alive. And then God brought him all the way up to heaven, but God wanted to prevent him, our great apostle, from falling into the sin of pride. And so he left a thorn in his flesh which, and allowed the demons to bother him. And lest the greatness of the revelation should exalt me, says St. Paul, there was given me a sting of my flesh, an angel of Satan to buffet me. For which thing thrice I besought the Lord, the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in infirmity. Between the heavenly rapture and the shameful sting, which do you think is more sublime? You see, the rapture, God bringing St. Paul all the way up to the third heavens, is a pure, gratuitous gift from God. It is mere trifle for God to perform, something very easy for God to perform. But the second thing, the triumph over the sting, is a victory won by a weak creature with the grace of God over the flesh and Satan. For that reason, it is a far greater accomplishment than even heaven itself. Yes, a humble soul in a state of grace is infinitely greater than all the heavenly visions that we can get. So. We might be very impressed with people having um, visions or revelations, but it is a greater thing to be in a state of grace and to cooperate with God's grace. St. Paul, as you know by now, did not have an easy life. We too, we all have our crosses to bear, and in times of difficulty, we can pray to God to be released from it. Even our Lord himself, in the, in the Garden of Olives, he asked his father to let this chalice pass him by, the chalice of the Passion. And St. Paul asked three times that the shameful sting of the flesh may depart from him. But God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in infirmity. There is a mystery in suffering. No man wants to suffer, even St. Paul. But what if God allows it for something greater? As you have, might have guessed by now, I was just recently in Malta, and there I celebrated the feast of the shipwreck of St. Paul. And during my stay there, there was a horrible storm. 
And I just imagine how difficult it must have been for St. Paul to be lost in the middle of the, the ocean and to be all soaked in cold waters of the ocean to be carried around by the waves. But without that shipwreck, the Maltese would not have had the faith. You see, God allows evil, God allows suffering for a greater good. So we must take the burden, take up the burden of our own crosses and carry it. It is one thing to see affliction as insufferable, but it is another thing to suffer it well. In order to be able to do that, we must turn to our Lord and He shall say, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in infirmity. These words are words of consolation and they will be the one who will carry us out, carries us through, through the storms of life. Let us then look deeply into each word. My grace, my grace here means this divine assistance comes from God himself. And so he says, my grace, as if to show how precious it is to him. It is this very power which overshadows the soul, uplifts her, enlightens her, warms, transfigures her, and allowing divine life to flow through her. Sufficient, my grace is sufficient. Grace alone suffices to carry us through any sufferings. Look no further than grace. It is carefully calculated, measured, just the right amount is given for us to suffer, to be able to suffer well. This means that our problems are also finite. They will go away. This also means that grace has to always be asked. You must always ask for grace because God gives sufficiently just enough for us. Adequately, but sufficiently, just enough so that we will have to exercise simplicity and humility to ask for more grace. We are dependent on God's grace. Without grace, we can do nothing. My grace is sufficient for you. This grace is given to you. It is tailored for you, for here and now. The very cross that you have to carry here and now, ask for that grace to be able to suffer it well. My grace is sufficient for you. My precious blood flowing from my sacred heart to you and for you, for all your afflictions, remain close to me. Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, and I will refresh you with my grace. Lastly, for power is made perfect in infirmity. For power is made perfect in infirmity. Grace is this power, this power which unites us intimately with God, so that God's arms will become ours, so that he will fight temptations for us. You see, God, our divine Savior, pours his divine grace, his divine power into each and every one of us who are weak and helpless, and with it, there can only be victory. Grace is power. It is powerful, but it is made perfect when applied to our weakness. As you know, a thing becomes perfect when its purpose is fulfilled. Christ died for us. His grace is for us. 
but it can only achieve its perfection in us if we cooperate with it. If we apply, if it's applied to our weakness and our affliction. So the weaker and the more needy and the more miserable we are, the much more wonderful this power of grace will be perfected and the more glory God will receive from us. For this reason, we can truly say with St. Paul, For when I am weak, then I am powerful. For the, when I am weak, then I am powerful. So, dear faithful, let us continue then to labor in the vineyard of our Lord. That is the salvation of our soul. And it perhaps will not be very easy. It is a spiritual warfare after all. There will be fatigue, there will be imprisonment of venial sin, the sins that we always repeat. There will be shipwrecks of mortal sin. The soul will be scourged, stoned, robbed, betrayed by the circumstances of life and by sinners. But through it all, let us remember this. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in infirmity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.